Our scripture lesson for this evening is taken from the eighth chapter of the gospel according to St. John, beginning with verse 23. Jesus is here addressing a crowd of Jews. Jesus said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand what he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They certainly are your truth. We pray that you would now strengthen our Christian faith through them. Amen. In 1930, out in Arizona, there was an astronomer who was out in a small family-made observatory of the stars, and he discovered a large mass that was moving way out at the edge of our solar system. And um, he decided that it must be a planet. And soon after, others looked at it and gave it the name the planet Pluto. Sixty-two years later, other astronomers came along and questioned these findings and decided to downgrade the planet Pluto and say that it really wasn't a planet. Finally, they came up with a compromise, and that was to ultimately call it a dwarf planet, which supposedly is still what it is today. So, is that going to change again in the future? Is this categorization of whatever this is going to change in your lifetime? It possibly could. Better telescopes and, and uh, equipment that goes out. But here's maybe a better question. Who cares? <laughs> Here's a better question. What difference is it going to make to your life? What change is it going to make to your life, whether this is a dwarf planet or some other mass of something or a truly real planet? There's some things that science, for instance, tries to discover as true that maybe it wavers on back and forth. Maybe some things that really don't matter a whole lot. And then there are other things that matter somewhat. And then there are certain things that really matter. If you're at your doctor's office and very important test results come back and someone in the medical staff sees some bad results but fails to come out and tell you really what the truth is, uh, does knowing or not knowing in that situation matter to you? Obviously it would. There are times when possessing the knowledge of something that is true uh, doesn't really matter in times when it matters somewhat and other times when it matters a lot or absolutely. 
Our Lord Jesus in the text before us is addressing the subject of truth and our need for knowing what the truth is and that studying this and knowing this is not merely a word game for theologians. It's not just merely something for head knowledge to understand about Christian doctrine and so on, all of which is good, but it's something that goes much deeper in that because knowing the truth or not matters not just in this life, but more importantly, in the life that is to come. And in order to possess truth, and along with it, absolute certainty upon which to build our faith, as we just sang about in that beautiful hymn, God is the one who must provide it. And Jesus is addressing that here uh, with his Jewish audience, that the Father has given to him this truth, which he now is continuing to pass on to those who are listening to him. And his words imply that, that um, God has to provide this truth because man by himself is unable to find it or possess it. And nothing can demonstrate that more clearly when it comes to our knowledge of God than all of the different strange ideas that human beings have come up with through the centuries and all of the conflicting ideas and um, uh, things that, that take people in completely odd and different paths. In ancient Egypt, they used to believe that when you died, your soul remained living in your body like a hotel. And uh, after death, they would prop open parts of your head so that uh, your soul could leave and go out at night and come back in and reside in your body. In Mesopotamia, there was a goddess named Erishkigal who is the queen of the dead. And this is true, supposedly, they believed for everybody who died, that she spent the rest of eternity taking everyone who died, taking their heads and rubbing it in mud. That was their understanding of life after death. Buddhism believes that there are eight doors that you must go through to ultimately enter into another, another reincarnation, whether it's an animal or a plant or possibly even another person. So man has just come up with a variety, a shotgun variety of ideas uh, about who God is and what happens to us. And some of them actually get rather silly when you, when you really look at it. But that's such a picture of our inability on our own to know truth, to really know on our own who this God is. So the Son of God here in our text is very clear to us about where truth is to be found and how it is to be given to us. Look at that final uh, sentence again, okay? Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, first of all, notice there that real truth does exist. It actually exists, according to the Son of God. Real truth also can be known. It is something human beings can know and understand. It can be found. It's, uh, it is given to us in a particular spot or location in this world. It can be possessed by people. It can, it can be something that they have as their very own. And notice in that sentence that possessing this real truth has a life-changing power to it. 
So God doesn't want you and me to go through this life stumbling in uncertainty and following odd little paths that take us all over the world and all over his creation looking in different places for him. He doesn't say, well, there's a good chance that you're going to find some truth. We don't, we don't worship a wishy-washy God. He says, you shall know the truth. You will know the truth. And you can have it and you can possess it and you can trust it and you can confess it as well. So the truth about what God has done for us through Christ and how we are to relate to him can only be known through this specific word that has been handed down from the Father to the second person of the Trinity through the Holy Spirit and the pages of Scripture to us who are at his feet. Back in Germany in the 1800s, there was a theologian by the name of Dr. Walther and Dr. Walther would often talk about how a true biblical theologian should be able to stand up from his desk and say, I have found the truth. I know it. I have it. Even though the world might tell you that's arrogant. Even though the world might tell you that who are you to think that you could say something that bold. But Walther was right that believers in Christ who have come to faith in him and by the Holy Spirit have been given this knowledge of God can boldly say, I have found the truth. I have it. Back in the 1950s, there was a doctor up in Toronto who uh, knew that they'd been trying to figure out a way to do heart surgery on people. And one of the problems was when when the heart was being worked on, there was so much blood that the surgeons were not able to get at it correctly. And he came up, uh, through much uh, experimentation and studies and things, he came up with a way to create an artificial pump during the surgery process, which sometimes could take six, seven hours, in order to allow the, the blood to be drained from the heart in order for the surgery to be far, far more successful. successful. And that process, which is still used today, um, has saved thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of lives since that time. Can you imagine that man, when he finally figured this out, coming out of his office and looking down the hall to people and then thinking to himself, I figured this out. I know how to, how to save lives, but maybe I should hold this to myself because I don't want people to think I'm arrogant. I don't want people to think that I'm a know-it-all by claiming that I have figured this out. I bet he came out of his office that day and wanted to show everybody and to tell everybody about it. Do not let the world that needs the truth from God and that we have and possess in his word, do not let the world shame you into fear of thinking that I can't say anything about God's truth. I cannot let the gospel out. I cannot stand up for Christ. He's the only answer to death. He's the only answer to our sins because of what he did for us on the cross, because of the holiness that he gives us through the gift of faith, because of the promise that we have in the resurrection of our own bodies from the dead someday. We have that truth, the one real true antidote to sin and death. We should be bold about letting the world know about this. It's not something we should be shamed into thinking, I have to cower away. And notice in Jesus' words, the ultimate goal of this truth is your emancipation from your personal grave. 
The truth shall set you free. Probably one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible. People, not, people often think that that passage is, is referring to getting you out of trouble. That's not what it's saying. Jesus is talking about your grave. He's talking about being set free eternally so that you and I can possess the beautiful joys that we have waiting for us in heaven. And that's why Jesus says about this same word, the, spirit, the words that I give you, they are spirit and they are life. Dr. Luther said, Scripture has never erred. If that is not granted, what good is it for? Back in uh, the early days of the Reformation, there were some men in a monastery in Belgium, some monks who had come to understand now the gospel and the way to heaven through faith in Christ. And because of that, and because they were willing to confess that, they now were put to death for that faith and for proclaiming that. And when the, when the news came to Luther at his office in Wittenberg, he was very distraught and very saddened. And he thought to himself, this truth that I have now learned and discovered is going to possibly cause death to people in, in the communities around us. Is it really worth me standing up for this and making, making a proclamation of it? Maybe, maybe I shouldn't continue this work. And he wrestled with it in prayer, and he realized that because it was the truth, no matter what the cost, he had to venture on. You and I have been blessed by that type of a confession, by that boldness. We have been blessed to also have this truth in our presence as well. May God stir up our hearts to be bold confessors of it to our generation also. Amen.